Welcome to the Lawn and Garden Podcast with University of Wyoming Extension Specialist Jeff Edwards and co-host Jerry Urshabek. Originally aired on KGOS and KERM in Torrington, join Jeff, Jerry, and their special guests as they talk all things gardening in Wyoming. Our Lawn and Garden Podcast helps you improve your home garden or small acreage. Good morning, everybody. This is Jeff Edwards and Jerry Urshabek for the KGOS KERM Lawn and Garden Program. Our guest today is Abby Perry. She is an extension educator from Carbon County, located in Rollins. And um, Abby, we are so happy for you to join us today. How are you today? Good. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Fantastic. Jerry, need to get you to say hello. Hey, good morning to everybody. (laughs) All right. Good morning. Uh, Let's listen to a few words from our sponsors and we'll be right back. You are listening to the Lawn and Garden Podcast, presented by University of Wyoming Extension, extending the land-grant mission across the state of Wyoming with a wide variety of educational programs and services. Welcome back, everybody. This is Jeff Edwards and Jerry Urshabek for the KGOS KERM Lawn and Garden Program. As I mentioned, our guest today is Abby Perry. And uh, we are talking about lawn and garden and trees and shrubs and Maybe turkeys and maybe pumpkins, Jerry. Okay, okay, I can talk about pumpkins. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little bit, maybe. Okay, very good. So, so Abby, um, tell us about a little bit about what you do for uh, Carbon County, and let's talk about lawn and garden stuff. Sure. So in Carbon County, I do education programs with farmers and ranchers, get to do gardening things, go out and do monitoring, look at grasses. One of my favorite parts of my job is also the youth programming that I like or that I get to do. And so I realized pretty well into this job that it's one of my passions to get people excited about agriculture, but especially getting kids excited about agriculture. Fun. And, you know, if we have time, I might want to ask you a few questions about your research project that you're doing with crows. I I think that's fascinating stuff. So uh, I I think our listeners might enjoy hearing what you're doing with those as well. I think you're probably right. (laughs) Okay, very good. So, you know, you've you've mentioned that you have not necessarily have a really good garden, but you have yeah. more land, more landscaping things that you might be willing to talk about. Yeah. So we have, I, I think when we first moved into our house, we put in a garden and I decided that I'm pretty good at growing things and not very good at harvesting things. So the things <laughs> that I have for eating are more like perennial plants, my strawberries, rhubarb. We do have some asparagus, those types of things. I planted some purple potatoes this year that I'm very excited about. So we'll see how those are, are, go. Are they purple skin, purple flesh? They are. Okay. So uh, Diane and I have been growing a variety for about 10 or 12 years now that is uh, purple skin and white flesh. I I think the variety is called Karib and I'm not a big potato fan, but these are pretty darn good. Really? Yeah. I I definitely am planting these for the aesthetic value and maybe getting small children in my household to be excited about eating potatoes, you know, eating something purple. Maybe that's fun. I have no idea how they're actually going to taste. But Blue mashed potatoes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It it's always sounds, worth a try. It just sounds fun, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Anything to entice little ones to try and eat new things, right? As right. long as you have ranch dressing, they, those kids will eat most anything. 
And then as an adult, you can just go, eh, I don't like that. You can right. use that stuff. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so when we were getting ready, you mentioned that you ha- were struggling with rhubarb. Tell me the issues that you're having. I'll tell you all about my rhubarb. So okay. when we, first of all, are we've been doing some backyard landscaping renovation stuff for several years now, and it's starting to finally find everything's finding its home. And finally, our rhubarb is in its permanent home. So it has been transplanted a few times. Okay. But it's never really gotten big. At other places where we've lived, I've had this huge rhubarb that you could harvest all year long. And it seems like as long as I've lived where I've had this one here in Rollins, I've been able to make like two rhubarb crisps a year, you know, like not producing nearly enough. So several years ago, we actually took out all of the dirt and added back in fresh like garden soil compost mixture type soil thinking that maybe the soil is part of the problem i don't know if rhubarb is really tends to really need a lot of water if that's if that's part of our problem so when you're transplanting it you can possibly transplant it too deep okay and the plants may not ever get to be their full potential. Is this a new plant that you planted or is it something that you split off of something else to transplant? No, it started as a one gallon plant from the nursery when we first moved in. So this is our sixth summer in Rollins. So it is this rhubarb six year. And like, I just got rhubarb. I picked rhubarb off of it on the 4th of July and made rhubarb crisp. And that was the first time that I had picked any rhubarb all season because it was finally maybe kind of doing something. And I actually supplemented with some rhubarb out of the freezer. So the the elevation is 6,400 feet in 68 something, I think. 68 something. Okay. I know they grow. I know they grow rhubarb in Laramie. Yes. I don't know. Whenever we have struggled with rhubarb, it's because it was planted too deep. I don't know if you might want to try to lift it a little bit. Yeah. So could you lift it or dig back, like dig back around from the crown? Is that the right word? I don't know. Yeah. Since it's been transplanted a few times, I think Uh maybe I would just try to pull the soil back away from the crown. Interesting. Okay. See what happens. Jerry, your thoughts on rhubarb? Well, I had a neighbor that was adjoining to me and and, uh, they said, well, after they had their first round of rhubarb and they picked it, they said, would you go over it with your rototiller? I said, sure. And so, you know, we've talked about Here, that. Sign me up. I'll go, I'll go rototill yeah. for you. There you go. And so <laughs> I, I said, I'd be happy to. I said, you're not wanting me to kill it. Are, oh, you won't kill it. So I think on well-established plants, gosh, you can be really mean to them. And of course, this thing came back with a vengeance, but I'm not sure how old this rhubarb plant was, but went over the top, mulched everything in. And with, I don't know, within three weeks, it was back above the surface again. So I'm, I'm kind of like what Jeff said, maybe pull the dirt away. Okay. Well, and I am a firm believer in plants responding well to haircuts. And so I'm, it'll be oh, yeah. interesting to see if it uh, does anything more after I sort of pulled out some of those first branches a few days ago. My, about, talk about responding to haircuts. I really went, went after my lilacs this year for oh. a variety of reasons. And I keep telling people I am not an arborist. I'm an entomologist. And the reason that I really went after them this year is because I have scale insects really bad. I have those black root weevils that notch the leaves. 
And I also have a uh, lilac stem borer that was getting out of hand. So I only, you know, these were eight feet tall, pretty good size, good around. And I probably only left four or five stems or stalks or twigs, branches, whatever you want to call them. And uh, now the undergrowth is about two and a half feet tall and it's just totally thick. <laughs> I don't know if that's what I was going for or not. I'm not sure. <laughs> better, better housing for your insects, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. I, just, I just got a call from somebody. Actually, it was a text Sunday, maybe. I don't know about lilacs and it being one of those. What do we do in these situations? And I think that they are ones that tend to respond really well to a nice haircut. pruning. Yes. <laughs> a shave. <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah. tomatoes will do the same thing. My neighbor was given a really large, tall tomato, and of course they planted it and it just fell down to the ground. And Myrna took the scissors to it and gave it a haircut. Now it's nice, big and bushy again and yeah. bearing flowers. Yeah. I'm a few steps ahead of you, Jerry. Okay. We've, we've already been picking tomatoes. Well, you know, not all of us get to have an eye tunnel. <laughs> not all of us have corn that's eight feet tall. <laughs> so I gotta, some... I gotta tell you, the corn, the corn is truly amazing. Uh, you know, in its growth stage, where the ears start to push away from the stalk, right? About, I'm, I'm guessing right now, I'm just about to blister stage on my sweet corn. Oh, so another two weeks? No, no another week. A, well, I'm yeah, week two, ten days, fourteen days around in there, and I think we'll be ready to be having sweet corn. Uh, so, oh. Abby, I have I planted sweet corn the first week of April in my oh. high tunnel. Okay. And um, it is probably nine feet tall. And <laughs> wow. It's, it's already pollinated. It's it's doing great. <laughs> That's crazy. Do so you get enough, like, flow through the high tunnel and everything for it to win pollinate? Or do you have to help it along at all? So there is so much pollen generated by corn that just the the drop from the anthers is enough to pollinate the corn oh wow it pollinates the corn it pollinates everything around it it's crazy yeah nice. so not even a fan blowing on it no nah. no i've i you know we've got insects out there that like the the cutworm moths the adults uh they're out there flying around but i've got grasshoppers and very happy mm -hmm. toads and uh, other things, uh, wasps that are moving things around, but not, I don't have pollinators and I, I have rolled up side, roll up sides on it, but I have a window screen to keep most of the other insects out. So it, I gotcha. do not have a problem with things pollinating in my high tunnel. Yeah. So have you ever tried to do, um, <laughs> this is one of my aspirations of to grow popping corn early on i've tried popping corn i don't think that we have the humidity an, enough humidity to actually get popping corn kernels to pop when you go to harvest them i think we are kind of too dry i know that sounds kind of weird but there's a reason why popping corn is grown in indiana and iowa right and and, and not in wyoming it'll grow You'll get ears and you'll get corn, but I don't know that it would have very uh, high success rate of popping. Yes, yeah, so that's one of those. I know it has a super long season and I thought, well, there's ways around that to, you know, figure out the sure the season. But. Sure. 
more yeah. things to do with kids, you know, or, my or, like, let's grow popping corn. <laughs> well, you should try it. <laughs> okay. So what, what, what else is fun in the corn family is the Indian corn. And then, oh. you know, once it's, it's nice and dried, you pull the husks back and then you get to decorate for fall or Halloween, that sort of thing. But you can get some really pretty colors in Indian corn. Broom corn is kind of fun too. It doesn't really produce an ear and the, uh, the top part of it is the piece that the brooms used to be made out of. So uh, oh. it's kind of an interesting plant to look at. That sounds fun too. And grow and, and get kids involved with. Here, oh. sweep the floor. Yeah, right. <laughs> Here, let's make, let's make a broom. Oh, by the way, you get to sweep now. <laughs> so you had mentioned other perennial things in your landscape that you are growing and... Yeah, so I have... I have apple trees and, but no apples yet. All of, so I started a bunch of trees a few years ago as bare root stock. So little tiny three foot trees. And some of them are as tall as I am, maybe a little bit taller now, like six foot trees. And so I think that they're doing well, but no fruit yet. There's our cherry, apple, pear. I think that's it. You, said, I, three, you said three years ago? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So three to five probably. Yeah. Any time now. And then I have choke cherry tree that my husband is just anticipating having choke cherries to make jams and whatnot. But I think that this is tells you a lot about where we live, that the wind blows off the, you know, at first you lose so ever many blossoms to the wind and then, okay, the blossoms actually turned to fruit, but then another windstorm came in and blew off some of that. And now it's like, we're down to, I feel like a handful of choke cherries and I just keep crossing my fingers that maybe they'll get to harvest time, but oh, the birds are going to get those. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> that's probably true. <laughs> so maybe one of these days we'll actually be able to have choke cherries. Yeah. Our year this year, for fruiting trees is very strange. I think the last frost freeze event that we had just totally whacked our blooming trees. I have no apples whatsoever on my apple trees. And I've, I've got um, apricots that uh, the plants I think are six years old, maybe seven years old, have never bloomed. Finally had two or three blossoms on them this year, no fruit. And then I have some plums that we planted that have been around for 12 years now and never had any fruit on them. Nothing. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, but the, same way for, the same way for us, our apples, apple tree had a lot of blooms on them. The apricots in Guernsey, my brother had a lot of blooms. They're gone. Even our May day tree that seems mm -hmm. to put out little berries like a choke cherry, but a little smaller, mm -hmm. far less. Mm. this year. Uh, yeah, I've seen that too on, on blooming apples and cherries and that sort of thing. So we're hopeful for next year. Yes, we are. Uh, although, you know, Jerry, my mother's apricot tree, she, it's still is holding apricots. So she's hopeful that she'll have a fruit oh, yeah. this year. And, and, uh, She's got a protected area, isn't it? Isn't Yeah, it is. The one out front is less protected, but the ones in the backyard are, are definitely in a protected space. When you're talking wind shear, every time I've driven through Rollins, I <laughs> kind of think the wind has been blowing. Yeah. 
It, that <laughs> definitely is a, a good possibility. Luckily, where we're at, there's a big hill behind our house where it, that separates like there's an alley behind and a big hill that gives us a little bit of protection. And then everything, all of these, not all of these, most of these trees are in the backyard. So I think as far as protected spots, they're pretty good, but still high wind areas for sure. That's hard to avoid. But. High and frequent wind. Yes, high and frequent. <laughs> Very true. And then we have a big, um, I think this is year two on our perennial bed. We took out a retaining wall and made a giant hill with a slide for the kids that go through it. And then I just planted it all. And I think it's probably seven or eight feet by 30 feet, maybe, of okay. perennial bed. So decent pollinator landscape. Excellent. Um, native type plants or just a variety of things that interest um, Kind of hodgepodge of things. I have a makeshift homemade grow light in my office. And so last season, I started a bunch of things from seed. My favorite things, different echinacea and some different grasses, I think. And yeah, some, some native, some not. I was talking to a, a friend of mine that works at a greenhouse. That was always my summer job working at a greenhouse. And when I was home visiting a few weeks ago, I stopped in and saw her. And she was telling me that I actually have quite a few things that, you know, overwinter for me and come back that haven't overwintered for them in Cody. So quite a bit lower elevation. And we finally decided that some of that snowpack or, you know, uh, drifted snow is actually of a benefit to me. So my landscape being under snow from October until March this year, I think helped along some of my perennials. Didn't so. hurt a thing, did it? Yeah. We, we talk about the snowpack in Riverton. Uh, is helpful to my mom's apricots because the trees that we have came directly from hers. It, where we are in Torrington, we don't get the snowpack over winter. So I'm, we are pretty much convinced that the amount of snow and how long it stays around over the wintertime is actually helpful for those types of plants. Yep. I think so. I have some hyssop is one of my favorites, you know, that you little perennial flower that you brush by and kind of smells that licorice uh -huh. smell. And that was one that she said at the greenhouse. She's like, my hyssop never overwinters. I always treat it like an annual. And I've had mine as long as I've lived in Rollins. And I think that that snow cover really, really helps it out. That nice insulating blanket. So Yeah, very nice. Jerry? I know a lot of people will throw out grass seed before a snow and thinking that that will hold the grass seed in place, keeps it away from wind shear as well, but it gives it that moisture to start out and get going. And I think that's probably a really good idea. Yeah, that and um, also uh, pollinator plants, annual pollinator seed is the kind of the same type mm. of thing if, uh, okay. if you throw it out when there's still snow on the ground and uh, it'll, it'll do fine. I actually have. I've started a few of those beds with pollinator, you know, that I threw out in the fall and then was under snow all year and did its thing quite nicely. So, Abby, you said you had a uh, simplified uh, grow light system. Can, can you describe what that is? So if people are interested in doing that type of thing, they could maybe yeah. do uh, get a setup. Sure. So it's basically a shop light. Um, a four a, foot, like a four foot shop light? Yep. Or an eight? Okay. Yep. Um, and then it has the, it has two bulbs in it, two systems. And then I had my husband make basically a little stand for it out of like PVC. So it has, the PVC itself has two feet on both sides that 
go out and then a an arch type setup and then hooks from it that hang down the light. And the biggest thing is to have that light hanging as close to the plants as possible when they're, you know, little bitties because of the light rays that disperse over distance. And so, and I don't think that it takes much distance for them to completely disperse and not be effective for your plants. Um, do you uh, use special light bulbs or is it just the light bulbs that came with it? It is just the light bulbs that came with it, but they have to be like, you know, anymore, everything's, I, d I don't know if you could get an LED bulb for a shop light, but that will not do the trick. You want the, the old school, I can't think uh, of what it's fluorescent called. Lamp. Yes, fluorescent. Yeah, okay. so, so that you uh, can get the right rays. Yes, you can get LED lights for shop lights. Oh, you can? I have a couple. They're awesome. Okay. I'm sure they're they're great for like the workspace, not so great for the for the uh, plant space. For the grow space, right? Right. And yeah. then I also have a timer that I, you know, just plugs into the outlet and then the plug-in from the shop light goes into the timer. And then I set it to be on for about 16 hours, I think, when I first okay. start get things going, maybe 14 hours. And then you yeah. move that light up away from the plants as the plants grow, right? That's correct. Yeah. So it's on that little chain and I just, yeah, move it up the chain, up the hook. Keep them watered, yep. not, but not overwatered. Yep. And I've, well, and I've started watering, <laughs> you know, there's all these things that you sort of tell people to do and then you're like, hey, maybe I should try that myself. So <laughs> I've started doing watering, watering, especially with those little seedlings, like in the dish and letting them soak up from the bottom instead of watering on top and splashing seed every which way. And I think it's also easier to know if it's more unified watering that way. Oh, okay. Sure. So Perfect little setup, easy to do. And yep. if people want to start their own seeds this coming fall or this coming winter, easy yes. thing to do, right? Yes, definitely. Reading okay. on the seed packets, I usually find all that I want to, to grow for this season. Like I said, for the perennials in our perennial bed, it was going to be kind of expensive to plant a 30-foot perennial bed. And so I started growing them, a lot of them myself. But I just organized, looked at all the back of my seed packets of their estimated date for planting away from the you know, the frost free date, mm -hmm. the first frost and organized and just started planting, you know, once a week, starting something new. So it was fun. Perfect. The other day I was uh, picking peas out in the high tunnel. And when they first germinated, I kind of looked at them and I thought, oh, darn, only 10 plants germinated. Now that I'm picking them, <laughs> I keep thinking, oh, thank goodness, only 10 plants germinated. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> So, Just last weekend, I was picking weeds out of my peas, uh, and they're only about two and a half or three feet tall now, and reaching towards the big fence. Oh yeah! So yeah. they're 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 gaining. You know, Very you really good. get a jump on growth with a protected growing system. Oh yeah! Really Anytime good. we can protect from the weather. I don't know what's up with our melons this year. I think the wind has just. Uh, we're not going to have melons this year just uh, because of the wind, I believe. And I think some of the um, cutworm adults have done their business and left eggs. And so now we have some larvae behind. So there might be some things feeding on the plants and that's weakening them. And then when the wind comes mm -hmm. along, it just kind of blows them out of the ground. So, yeah, it's uh, unfortunately. But other than that, everything else seems to be doing fine. Squash and mm -hmm. stuff is kind of uh, we had our first zucchini last week. I think we talked about that. Yep. As you did too, right, Jerry? 
Yes, we did. But we had purchased our zucchini and fixed it up, but we don't have our plants bearing yet. They're getting closer. Oh, okay. Our cucumbers have started too, so. Oh, yeah. Good stuff. Mix it with a little onion and some beet. Uh, no, beet. no beet greens, no beet root. No, no, don't even don't even say that, Jerry. That's just a wasted time. Abby, we, uh, we talked last week about all the foods we liked and all the foods we really disliked. And I think Jeff and Diane have a really good plan. Only plant what you think you're going to eat or able to give away. I think that's part of why I've stopped growing my own garden is that I was not good at harvesting and eating the things. You know, there's certain things that I thought you should you should grow these tomatoes because everybody grows tomatoes. But you should also grow the tomatoes if you want to eat the tomatoes. And that was not the case for me. Are you not a fan of tomatoes? No, not at all. Oh, my. See, funny, funny things when in conversation, how uh, things we like and dislike. Jerry, is there one vegetable that you absolutely do not like? Yes, and it is called cooked spinach. (laughs) Now, I love raw spinach, but when it's cooked like we used to have in high school, uh, man alive, we'd put that in our milk carton and try to hide it and throw it away. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, spinach needs to be eaten raw. Well, when it's wilted just a little bit. Yeah, with bacon. Right. Or or pizza. Yeah. You know, All right. Put it, put it on pizza or something, you know, but not boiled in water. <laughs> no. <laughs> and turn them turn to mushki. Well, when it's no longer the right color green, then that's it's beyond edible, right? Yeah. But <laughs> I'm I'm pretty easy to get along with. I you know, if it's set in front of me, I'll I will I will try it. I'll I'll eat a couple of bites. And if it's uh Something that I can't tolerate, I go, huh, this is really quite interesting. Where's my milk carton? <laughs> and and where's my milk carton? And move on. <laughs> oh, that's a great place for a ceiling fan. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Hey, well, uh, I think we're about, we're about halfway through the program. Let's take a break and listen to our sponsors, and we'll be back in a minute. Boys and girls, green thumbs of all ages. Gardening and growing in Wyoming can be challenging, but yet a rewarding experience. The University of Wyoming Extension is here to help with a vast amount of how-to videos and resources to better assist you with all your gardening questions and needs. All these resources are free of charge and on our website for you to use to make your gardening experience green and prosperous. Find all your gardening needs and resources at www.uwyo.com cmp.org backslash gardening hyphen videos and remember happy gardening and green thumbs you are listening to the lawn and garden podcast presented by university of wyoming extension visit us at yoextension.org there you can find your county office browse our many programs and access dozens of free publications on gardening and so much more all right, everybody, we're back. This is Jeff Edwards and Jerry Urshabek for the KGOS KERM Lawn and Garden Program. Our guest today is Abby Perry. She is from Rollins. She works for the University of Wyoming. We have been talking about gardening and growing and the things we like to eat and the things we don't like to eat. And um, so uh, for the second half of our show, I, I think you guys, you two have something in common as far as uh 
growing pumpkins, right? So, so maybe you guys should chat about growing pumpkins. Well, I understand that Abby, your husband received some pumpkin seeds for Christmas. Yes. So can, can you tell me what kind? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know that they are giant pumpkin seeds. Oh, okay. We All had right. um uh we have a colleague in extension who has done some giant pumpkin work with folks in her county and asked if anybody wanted any seeds and I my husband has an interest in growing giant pumpkins and I thought well what do you put in a grown man's Christmas stocking well you should probably put pumpkin seeds and so that's what I did yeah the most likely they were Atlantic giants dill Atlantic giants and that's that's the the kind of pumpkin seed one would obtain should they want to grow giant pumpkins they're they're quite quite fun did he try them yet no he has so he bought a he bought a book on giant pumpkins he's very good about reading about things before he gets into them and he picked out his spot and did all this and then we acquired chickens and the chickens sort of took over where the giant pumpkins were going to go and so i think it's one of those next season he is going to take on the giant pumpkin growing here's task. here's the good news if the since you have chickens Chicken manure is actually one of the one types of manure that's really quite high in nitrogen. It's considered a little hot, but if you compost it a little bit, I think that you'll find that that chicken manure will work really, really well for a giant pumpkin. Is the chicken location there to stay? No, it is a temporary location for the chickens. We're going to put in a permanent run, hopefully this fall. So Somewhere else. So Yes. So if he has that place picked out and the chickens are moving, the chickens will have already fertilized the area in which he wants to get going. So there's some people that are crazy enough, they'll put in warming wire, you plug it in and it warms and it's supposed to use be used for roofs mm -hmm. so that you keep the snow from accumulating on your roof. Oh, you're, it, those are uh, ice dam preventers, right? Ice dam preventers. And so they'll plug this wire in and make a big concentric circle, either going from small to large or large to small, it doesn't mm -hmm. matter, and plug that in to get their soil to an appropriate temperature, thus getting ready for early growth. And then you know, you'll probably want to keep something over it. And then mm -hmm. again, something over that. So, you know, you're... <laughs> If you want to really get involved in giant pumpkin growing, you, you mm -hmm. need a couple of shelters. But wind shear is probably the biggest thing that you really want to look for because wind shear will tear your melons, your pumpkins, your squash. It'll tear it right out of the ground. So mm -hmm. especially giant pumpkins are one of those kind of things that need to be helped out by either dirt on the leaf juncture. So mm -hmm. a vine grows out and and two leaves that come straight up off the stalk is called a leaf juncture. You'll probably want to put a scoop of dirt on top of that because you'll get extra root growth coming from oh. underneath that leaf juncture. But then on the other places, you'll probably want to use a wooden shish kebab stick formed in an X to go over the vine to mm -hmm. try to help keep it down. That's my best advice. Oh, that's very good advice. I, yeah, I look forward to him trying it next season. So and Jerry, when, when he's getting started and things are germinating and gets it outside and because the wind blows a lot in 
Rollins, which we've already discussed. Um, <laughs> uh, would you put a, I guess I'm thinking about a, um, one of those blue feed barrels that we have around our neck of the woods. Would you cut the bottom off of that and then put that over the top and then cover that with a blanket or something when it's yeah. cold? Or- so I've used a five gallon bucket that I got on a garage sale mm-hmm. that had its bottom cut out. So I turn it upside down and that's where I plant my pumpkin. And wait, I've wait, got a lake- wait, wait, did you buy a bucket at a yard sale without a bottom? Yes. I'm at five or six of them. I think five of them. He was using them for his tomatoes. First, he had put that upside down and put his tomatoes in there. I hope you got your money's worth. Put a big cage. Oh, yeah. They were five for a buck. (laughs) He was he was moving and he didn't want to take them with him. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I bought, I think, five or six of them. And, and, uh, yeah, they're really nice. And you turn them upside down and you put your plant inside that and it really helps with wind shear. Mm-hmm. There's certain times that you have to decide your plant is too big and you have to remove that. But the wind shear, I've seen other people just put up like a, a three foot piece of plastic kind of in a half moon where mm-hmm. the wind comes from. But I've also seen like a oh, six by six or a 10 by 10 little plastic hut. And I don't know why you couldn't use a tent, mm-hmm. you know, one of the camp tents that your kids have ripped out the zipper. Right. You just put that <laughs> over the top and, uh, and you know, stake it down real well. I, I think that would probably work as well. I'm liking all of these ideas. I think so we then, can be very successful with giant oh, yeah. pumpkins. Then you could run an electric cord and run a small heater as well as the electric cord in your ground. Oh, yeah. And then. And then your children could go out there and spend the night with the giant pumpkin. <laughs> right. Absolutely. There might be some times that that sounds like a pretty great idea. I think that <laughs> I could be down with that. Yeah. 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 So, you know, it, sometimes a lot of these projects, it's all about the kids. And, mm-hmm. you know, you go, oh, gosh, yeah, I got to till up the soil. I got to do this, got to do that. And then to see the excitement on a kid's face once they mm-hmm. see a, even a small pumpkin. I think we need to promote world peace by giving everybody pumpkin seeds and making them grow it. Make them, make them grow. Force them. Right, right. <laughs> that, that's a peaceful attitude, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> By golly, I said grow this pumpkin. <laughs> you can't have it. <laughs> yeah, I can't have that. So uh, I was interested in what I heard a little earlier that you have a project, research project with crows. Now, I just heard, I think it was last week, that someplace down in Texas, a, a supermarket or a, some big store, there was just a bunch, a bunch of crows landed in the parking lot. You know what a bunch of crows is called, don't you? A, a gaggle? A murder. A murder. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, Abby? I think I I knew it was something interesting, but I could not think of what it was called. <laughs> so since I, I piqued everybody's interest earlier on, yeah. I think maybe you should uh, spend some time talking about your research project because it's more than just about crows, but it is it is right. fascinating. So this came about, um, I'd been sitting in quite, a, like I said, 
and part of my job is hanging out with farmers and ranchers. And I'd been going to a few different meetings, winter meetings, where there tend to be lots of ranchers there. And on more than one occasion, somebody would ask about, it was actually ravens and raven impact on sage grouse. And it seems like the answer was always, well, we don't know. We think that something is happening, but didn't really have any clear answers. And so this project came about with um, Derek Scasta from, uh, he's an extension specialist on campus. And we decided um, that we'd put together a research project. He had a little bit of experience doing something similar. So what it is, is that there are game cameras out on like a, a T-post. And then we also put together some dummy nests. So using brown chicken eggs and putting them in what we deem to be sage grouse habitat and kind of tucking them back in. And um, we put them out about the time of year that real sage grouse would be being laid. And then we went back and collected them a month later after that hatching period would have passed and then looked at all of our game camera images to see what had come out there, trying to get a sense of what in the world was eating all of these eggs. If it was ravens predating on, yeah, predating on the eggs. Yeah. Yeah. And so we found our first year, I think we did it in 2017. All of the eggs had been predated by either ravens or uh, magpies. So we didn't have anything else. We saw some different kinds of animals come in. I think that there was a badger on one image. We saw some coyotes, but they weren't ever the first one there. And so a lot of times you could actually see those big prey birds, birds of prey eating the eggs. Like we have them on film carrying the egg away or cracking the egg open and actually eating what was in them. We did have a, some sort of little like ground squirrel type rodent go in and roll the eggs away from the nest. And so that, that sort of thing is a little bit trickier because you assume that there'd be a mama hanging out and not letting some little ground squirrel roll roll her eggs away. But after they got rolled out into plain sight, then a raven came in and ate them. And we saw a sage grouse on one of our images. And so to actually see a sage grouse on the images kind of gives you some confidence that where we put them was in a good spot. And that first year... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So the ground squirrel was actually paying homage to the ravens to not be eaten by the ravens, Yes, I think so. You're probably right. It was a payoff. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, And I think that first season like 50% predation of all of the nests. Um, it might've been a little bit higher, 60% predation. So and we that's decided- really, that, So that's kind of eye-opening uh, that that is a real thing that's happening out there. Yeah. So then we went out a second season and basically did the same study, same general area of our nests, but not the exact same spot. I think that I moved them... Oh, I can't even remember how, but we, I mean, we were using a GPS and making sure that we put the nest in a different location, but sort of same general location, went back out. And I think that that year, like 11 of all of our 12 nests were predated. 
And it was the same thing, the ravens and magpies again, but the majority of them were ravens. I think that year of the 11, like three of them, magpies got two first, but the other years it was ravens. And so, yeah, we decided not to go out a third season because we were getting a little concerned that we were teaching the ravens to come in and actually, I mean, because where we were at, there were sage grouse and, you know, some nesting ground and stuff. So we got a little nervous that we were teaching the ravens to come in and, and check it out. So what would you, what would you consider the results of that study or, but at least now you know that there are predatory birds who are harvesting sage grouse eggs, right? Right. I mean, I think that um, potentially could be. Right. I think that ravens have a bigger impact than most people think that they do. Like, I think that they're playing a bigger role than what we initially gave them credit for. I think it would be interesting to, you know, conduct it in another spot. But when I usually when I start talking to people about this project, then they start telling me all of these stories about ravens and how smart they are and like following vehicles and tracking them out to sites and things like that. So I, I, I mean... I guess in hindsight, it's almost like, well, it makes sense that these are a problem, but you know, it's nice to actually have a little bit of data, even if it isn't super scientific. It's just the game camera images, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. I watched an uh, I watched a Nova program on ravens, and they concluded that ravens were smarter than dogs. And dogs is pretty smart, but ravens right. can be taught how to open a box, how to obtain food by various means, even using a tool. So, I mean, when you're using tools, that indicates that you're pretty darn smart. Dogs will will go around and sniff it. They have a good sniffer. They'll go around sniffing and maybe paw at it a little bit. But the raven actually picked up a tool and was using it to, like, break the seed open or that sort of thing or drop the seed from a high distance. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, sh- I guess I should have added that, that where we conducted this project, it's a good 20 miles from town. So it's not like it's right next to the, you know, city landfill or anything like that. It's a ways out there. So and and um, we talked to the BLM uh, range con who did, does a lot of work on this ranch. And see, she said that she'd never seen ravens out there that first year. But after that, but when we were going out for the second year, she started seeing ravens. So, like I said, we got a little bit nervous that we were introducing them. So. Teaching them. Yeah. Right. Right. Interesting. Very interesting. So do they uh, prey on the chicks after they've hatched too? Do you know? I don't know. I think I think that there's probably a certain, certain amount, amount of that. Amount of yeah. 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 Interesting stuff. Yeah. So, Jerry, what's been going on in your life this last week? Did you guys have a good fourth? We did have a good fourth. I, I, I wouldn't mind talking just a little bit about a subject that gathers a lot of laughter and jokes, the, the garden hoe. Okay. So, <laughs> so we have a lot of different garden hoes. L- let the joke start. You know, I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> uh, we, have, we have acquired and through primarily primarily garage sales uh we have one hoe that does not have an implement it just has the hook and so that goes right in between the pavers for our our little patio and de-weeds in between the pavers we have one that's so worn and ground off it kind of looks like a little smile on a (laughs) big stick implement so that's myrna's favorite hoe smile on a stick (laughs) <laughs> smile on a stick. Uh, we have a couple of the yo-yo hose 
or yeah, stirrupose. Stirrupo, we like those. Uh, there's that, and I don't know if there's any tr what's called traditional hoe, but it's like a four by five uh, hoe that's just straight and squared off. Uh, I, I kind of like a, a V hoe that makes my, my trenches, especially if I'm doing corn. It's like a chisel tooth that was welded onto another sure. one. And then we just recently bought this, I'm going to call it a sweep. Because you didn't have enough hoe. No, uh, we didn't have enough hoe, ho, garden hose. And so can you see this? Uh, yes. Yeah. So yep. it's kind of like a sweep that you use on a tractor to go yep. underneath the soil just about two inches and yep. sweeps off the weeds. Well, I was I was sharpening all the hose this weekend. <laughs> on that last one, cut my thumb. So as a word of warning, you got to be careful. There's only one good hoe, and that's a sharp hoe. There's nothing worse than using a dull garden hoe. And uh, that's my story. I'm sticking with it. You got to be careful <laughs> when you're sharpening a garden hoe. Be careful when you're sharpening your tools, whether it's a hoe tools. or not, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, all of them. You know, yes. lawn and garden also includes being in the shop, taking care of your implements. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. And so now I'm wearing a big old guard on my thumb so that I don't smack it each time. Did it require stitches? No. Okay, that's good. It did require super glue, though. Okay. Well, and a, and a guard. So I have to tell you, I've been uh, trying to do some videos on how to build geodesic domes. And one of my statements in them every time I get started is to keep track of your digits. <laughs> Wear safety glasses and keep track of your digits because things happen really fast. Digits, gloves, absolutely. <laughs> I apologize. I have a previous engagement, so I have to check out a little early. That's fine. I think actually we could probably wrap up. Jerry, thank you for being on with us. Uh, good luck getting to your next appointment. Thank you so much, Jeff. Bye now. Abby, thank you for being our guest today. And we will uh, have you on again sometime. Thanks for listening. Catch next week's episode Tuesday at noon on Spotify. Episodes from previous seasons are now available in the archive.